Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast powered by Twisted Tea. It is our Sunday SEC football conversation with Weldon Rodenberg. Ton to get into as Ole Miss had a thrilling win over LSU. We talked about the significance of the win for Kiffin, the program, and how it happened as the Rebels played one of the greatest offensive games I've ever seen. So buckle up. I think you'll enjoy it. Then we took a look around the SEC and, of course, soccer corner at the end. Before we get to all that, though, want to take a quick break to remind you. Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have reliable home internet connection for you and your family. That's why Seaspire Home provides the most reliable internet service with 99.99% uptime. Seaspire also prides themselves with best customer service in the home internet market. Their customer service is award-winning, local, based out of the Southeast with industry low call wait time. Seaspire provides one gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and Southern Alabama regions. Seaspire is also proud to announce the release of their brand new two gigabit and eight gigabit home internet plans. Save yourself the hassle by not waiting for your internet connection to drop with the other guys. Call or go online to cspire.com slash home today and use promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, and you'll get one month of free service. So you get a free month of internet service and the best internet service in the market just for listening to this podcast. How about that? Check them out. Seaspire, customer inspired. All right, here's Weldon. All right, we now welcome on LSU apologist, former <laughs> Ole Miss recruiting staffer, Weldon Rodenberg. Uh, I can see the tears coming down your face. How are you handling things? <laughs> I'm fine. I think, I think you take the shit on the board more personally than I do. Um, it I definitely do. Um, that's an absolute fact that you do. Uh, it doesn't bother me at all. I think it's very funny. I'm glad people are listening and, and care enough to have to, you know, take some time out of their day to go on there and comment on it. Uh, yeah, I agree. And I, I probably reached my bandwidth of uh, having that argument on the board. Um, Cause then I end up arguing with powder blue reb 68 complete strangers online, probably not the greatest use of my time. Um, But, you know, after a firsthand account of uh, Shepard Smith's disdain for LSU on Friday, uh, there are rumblings among upper management about replacing you with him. I'll see what the contract looks like. He seemed interested. No, I don't doubt that he is. I'm sure the news is so much fun to cover these days for wherever he's at. What is he at MSNBC these days? I think he's just retired and kicking it. He was there. Oh, he's done. 2022. And I think he's just, I looked up his last contract at Fox. He's going to be okay. Um, oh, I don't doubt that. Yeah, I think he's just kicking it. Um, no, he was great. It was kind of funny at the end. He was like, you know, I have no idea who you are, but this was actually fun. You're not bad at this. I was like, oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. So, that's a pretty, that's pretty high praise right there. Goodness gracious. I know. So it was a big weekend all around. Obviously, none more so than the football game. As I sat here and we started trying to prepare um, for the podcast, watching. I don't know if this happened because of the game. And I'm certainly not saying it because of the magnitude of the game. That might have been the greatest post-game press conference between Dart and Kiffins I've ever seen, um, at least in Lane Kiffins' time at Ole Miss. And I want to start there just because not really about the press conference itself, but I thought that was emblematic of just the the vibe and the stamp that this win was for this program and the significance of that outside of anything that happened within four quarters. Just the significance of it I maybe underestimated a bit. I felt it was kind of cathartic. You know, these these guys have, I think, especially after last week and kind of just everything leading up from how the Alabama game went last year to how it went this year, to them understanding how big of a game this was, not only just for 
you know, of course, the season, but just for the program in general. And then for Kiffin and Dart themselves, you know, having some question marks on on them on winning big games and winning big games here, uh, fair or unfair. But I uh, I watched as much post-game stuff as I could after this game, um, and I really was impressed with them. Trey Harris, too, I think he is so incredibly well put together and just yeah, understand the magnitude of the situation that he is in. Um, going from tech to here, he's like, yeah, this is the games I wanted to play in, and Dart the exact same way, and Kiffin to a you know, different kind of extent, the exact same way. You know, these are the games that he wants to be coaching and winning, and you know, he shouted out the fans, shouted out his coaching staff, shouted out uh, his team, and it was really all well put together by everyone um, last night after the game. Let's start with kind of how the game played out. Um, one of the completely futile arguments I did revisit from earlier in the week was I thought this game played out pretty similarly to how we talked about it on Sunday or Monday, whenever that was, you know, you knew Ole Miss was going to have to score a lot of points. I think we used the phrase play a perfect game offensively, either in reference to Jackson Dart or just the schematic and the play calling. And I mean, that's what it took and that's what it did. And I don't say that to like pat ourselves on the back. It just, you kind of knew what you were going to get in for and Ole Miss was up to the test. Um, that offense looked unrecognizable to the one the week before. And honestly, that offense looked like one that I don't know how the hell anybody's going to stop that when it's fully going. It was incredible to watch unfold. Yeah, I mean, we don't have to pat ourselves on the back too much. But this, you know, the scenario I gave for Ole Miss winning the football game was pretty much exactly what happened. Um, I mean, there were some things I got right on this, some things I got wrong. I'm kind of an internal pessimist, so I I looked into this game and saw the line was like, man, from what we've seen through four games, I just don't see it. And it didn't move all week, which seemed fishy leading up. Not even a, not even a half point. I mean, it was two and a half um, from the second people actually start betting on games, which is usually Monday or Tuesday. And then it sat there and sat there and sat there. Um, But yeah, I mean, they said they needed to play a perfect game on offense. And for, I mean, with the exception of two drives, it was about as perfect as you're going to get. You score 55 points. You put up 700 yards of offense. You rush the ball for over 300 yards. You might have put up your total for the season in one game, uh, an SEC game. Uh, Dart was perfect. Judkins looked better. The offensive line looked better. Uh, it, you just There's not too many things to say that we can be like, oh, I mean, there's some nitpicks, sure, but it's almost impossible to do it uh, without like some sort of smirk on your face. Um, we said that LSU was going to get theirs and they absolutely did. Um, but you had to make the stops when they appeared and late in the game, they made two massive stops to keep the game within, you know, a winnable margin. Uh, after going down two scores in the fourth quarter, you made plays, you almost intercepted the ball to end it there with 30 seconds. Um, and that's at the end of the day, that's kind of what you have to do when a game flow turns out like this, because I may have, completely overrated the front seven of LSU. And I'm willing to say that they were absolutely terrible. Uh, but I didn't overrate the offense. I knew that they were going to get theirs and they absolutely did. And even, even though they did, I mean, it's not even like Ole Miss was in horrible position on some of those balls. I mean, they were they just, just made throws. plays. Daniels was in unbelievable throws. Absolutely. But Ole Miss was the better team. Ole Miss deserved to win that game uh, with the way they played in the fourth quarter, with the way they played the entire game. Um, so, I mean, it was awesome. I mean, they, like I said on the board and you know, people believe me, there was no one happier than me last night. I was watching that game with my wife, who's an LSU fan, uh, and about 15 other LSU people. And it was an experience that is just 
hard to explain how enjoyable it was. So uh, that was awesome. It was awesome. I really wish I was there. I wanted to go. It's not an easy place to get to from Houston. Uh, and I'm pretty pissed off. I wasn't, uh, but I was fine watching it on TV and laughing at everybody. So I actually had an interesting experience as far as how I consumed this game. I was, uh, when I do go to games, I just go with my family when they have ex- an extra ticket. And I'm one of those people that if not, I'm just perfectly comfortable watching it from home. It makes it easier to do the post game show, it makes a lot of things less complicated. And last week, or excuse me, last night was one of those situations where I didn't have a ticket with my family. So I was like, ah, okay, I'll just go to the Grove for a bit, come back home, get something to eat and watch the game. And I saw my cousin about an hour and a half before kickoff. And he was like, hey, we got one extra ticket in the, uh, I forget the east-west side, whatever old Mrs. Sideline side is, like 20-yard line we're not using. Do you want to go? And, God, this is going to sound like the most Jackson Academy thing ever. Between being a reporter and my parents moving seats into one of the end zone things, I haven't sat in, like, the bleacher seats, I swear, since maybe I was 15, 16 or 17 years old. And Jesus Christ, white privilege. I mean, I <laughs> there was no good way – that that was going to come out. But my point being, when I, I appreciate college, you even bringing it up. Golly. I got to college and that's when my parents moved to the, the ones in the end zone. And then between the reporter thing and the, I guess the student section house. Anyway, point being, it was down low. They were good seats. I was like, you know what? I'll just do it. And what an experience it is watching it like that low and from the side angle, because I oftentimes in the end zone have trouble like seeing what exactly happens on a given play. But it was just the first time in a while I'd gone to a college football game, had good seats, and it just reminded me that the experience in, of live sporting events, particularly college football, is still pretty damn good when you're close to the action. Yeah, I mean, I guess I always say, yeah, I mean, uh, I was at the LSU game last week against Arkansas and sat in my buddy's seats, which are – there's that, there's a new south end zone club in the end zone. And you're all the way up there and you're kind of like out of the sound bubble and you can't appreciate. That's a great way to put it. That's exactly what it is. You're outside of the sound bubble. You can maybe see, you know, everything progress better from a different angle, kind of like you're watching an all 22 on film, but you don't understand it. And uh, I mean, I'll give my white privilege. My dad probably has 15 or 20 LSU season tickets and not a single one of them uh, are in anything but the actual stadium. He, he's just like, I don't, if I'm going to a game and he's, you know, 61 years old, I actually don't even know how old my dad is. But he's like, I, I don't even want to do that anymore. When he was younger, they used to do some like the stadium clubs or suites. He's like, I, I just, if I'm going to go to these games, I want to be in it because I'm only going to two a year. Uh, I'm going to the good ones. So it is a completely different experience being in the actual seats. It's so much better. I like, almost refuse to like go to a sporting event without especially a big one without being in the real seats because you get a real feel for how everything is everything's louder everything's better you may not be able to get a free beer or free food whenever you need to uh but it doesn't make a difference it's so much better it really is i think i'm on that train now too and there's no way this segment was ever going to be received well but i just had to get that out there i've just discovered sitting in you know normal bleacher seats again uh two private school kids talking about football that's how how it goes exactly so (laughs) anyway i I, point being but that added on to everything last night i was kind of cognizant of the environment and the moment and i thought that was really cool to have that vantage point and be there for that so i'm really glad i did it so shout out for the to my cousin for the ticket that was awesome but anyway i think the real reason i wanted to bring that up was the way the game started i was uh Ole Miss goes down and scores 
I was right in front of the Dejon Anthony hit on Jaden Daniels. And, you know, two things we talked about, Ole Miss needing to play a damn near perfect game on offense, and the defense was going to have to create a play or two and not just be good and get off the field and be better on third downs, but create a couple of game-changing plays. And for all the yards and the points they gave up that I think was more so on LSU, that early turnover felt like a game-changing play for Ole Miss. Absolutely. I mean, Jaden Daniels does not throw many interceptions. You just weren't going to have a ton of opportunities for that. He he just keeps the ball. He runs like crazy. He does not protect himself. And Ole Miss took advantage of that. And uh, Anthony is a guy that we've kind of mentioned before a few times, but we probably have not talked about enough for how just solid he has been in the back end for this team with in multiple different positions, whether he's playing free, strong, nickel, He's kind of all over the place. Um, I think he was a corner at Liberty, and they're like, we can just use you however. Uh, he's been incredible. And that was a play at some point in time to win games like this, and we've seen it with Arkansas in this game and, and the Alabama game in 2020. You have to kind of flip the script. You eventually have to stop the, the game flow and take advantage on your side, whether that's with a turnover or two stops in a row or whatever. But – um, that was a massive play because if you didn't do that, you're just going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. You needed to be a leg up in a game like this where it's a shootout. Uh, they took advantage of it there. They did it. Getting off to the fast start was, I thought, hugely important because, you know, that game got weird for a while. LSU goes on a 28-6 to six run. Ole Miss looks like they're dead in the water there with eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Um, and then they flipped the script. And so I just wonder, like, you know, had they not had that fast start, how this game would have turned out? Because LSU was clicking on all cylinders offensively, and so was Ole Miss. And that's probably partially why it was such a fun game. That was just a well-played offensive, really just football game all around between two really good teams. I thought the way that Lane Kiffin – I knew LSU was better than they showed against Florida State. I, you could see signs of that in the Mississippi State game. They've gone on these wild runs in like three games in a row where they'll score on like seven or eight straight possessions. I know one of them was like grambling, but I think that game was like 10 straight possessions. I, I don't care if you're playing Jackson Academy. Scoring on 10 straight possessions is hard. And so when yeah. they get in a groove, they really get rolling. And I thought the way Kiffin described them after the game, talking about – it probably he actually went through and was like, is this the best personnel in college football? And he basically was like, yep, it's either that or second and talked about it being 2019 Alabama-esque, which was one hell of a compliment yeah. with the playmakers they have out there. And so I guess my point being is they were awesome. I was very impressed with Daniels. But uh, this win, I think, is going to hold up. Ole Miss beat a very, very good offensively talented football team. Yes, uh, they are really good on offense. They have no weakness on offense. They have receivers all over the place. They have a really good tight end, really have two pretty good tight ends. Their offensive line, uh, I mean, Ole Miss has been incredible this year, something that, like we said, was going to be really important in rushing the passer, and they really didn't get a lot on Daniels in this game, uh, except for a late, uh, late big play by Sistrunk and another late big play by Sistrunk, actually. Um, and then, of course, they have – three running backs that are all good, and Jaden Daniels. The difference is that their defense is fucking terrible. Uh, it is like <laughs> – it is a crime how bad they are. And it's it's something – I thought that their front seven, just from the names, the talent, Perkins, Spates, the Whit Weeks kid they play now, that like you would think that they would be able to control or dictate some sort of tempo against Ole Miss. Understandably, because Ole Miss has not run the ball at all for four straight games – uh, and then Ole Miss cracks him for the tune of like 320 yards on the ground and 330. I mean, it was just an unreal performance by Ole Miss. 
But uh, it cannot be understated how terrible LSU's defense is. What did you think was different for Ole Miss this week? I mean, outside of the, it being LSU's defense versus Alabama's defense, I, it seems schematically there was a little bit of a shift. And I saw Cole Kublick's, I like his Sunday Twitter thread where he kind of offers a it's couple great. Of I read it earlier. Yeah. On, uh, on each team. And he talked about how they went into the game with what he called a great schematic plan that was not as complicated as you think. And then coupling that with Kiffin saying after the game, like, I don't think people understand, like, for this game, how much we schemed around one player talking about Harold Perkins. And he's like, I'm not going to go into it because that kid does come back next year. But he was like, I don't <laughs> think you understand, like, how dependent it was, like, our play calling, how dependent it was on where he was on the field. Just from what you saw last night, what did you think was different for Ole Miss offensively in the running game? I mean, they're healthy. Then they're healthier. When you have healthy receivers and a healthy pre-scoring, it opens up everything for you. And I think that was one of the biggest things was that they you could scare them through the air. And you did in the first like four drives. You know, Trey Harris is all over. Wade Watkins goes for 65. So LSU couldn't commit many players to the box. And for as good as Harold Perkins is, if you get your hands on him, he's not Khalil Mack. He's not Aaron Donald. Like he's not ripping through offensive linemen unless it's a uh, you know, a pass rush or whatever. So whenever they were coming in, they would still have two safeties high. So Ole Miss was like, all right, that's fine. We're going to run some outside zone. We're going to run some inside zone. And we're going to take our guys against yours. And it's something I thought that they were going to struggle with. They absolutely did not. I mean, they absolutely hammered them. Uh, I think I've been right that Quinshawn Judkins, yeah, he's been hurt, but he's not some completely different dude. He did not forget how to play football. And tonight showed, or last night, uh, showed that for real. I mean, he was incredible. Bentley was fantastic, too. Um, I mean, that run, just juking 30 out of his shoes and then ripping it for 50 yards. And there's not that many players that can do that in the country. He's I had mean, a couple of those this year, too. Yeah, I mean, he is has legitimate speed. I mean, it is home run speed. And, uh, I mean, credit to the offensive line, too. You still have to go out there and block the guys, even if you have an advantage in the box. And they were much, much, much better last night. And I think what you're talking about was articulated really well by one RG3 on the broadcast, but the Watkins touchdown where the two linebackers clearly bit on the play action and it left a wide open hole in the middle of the field that Watkins took um, advantage of. Dart made a great throw and they scored a touchdown. And I don't think Ole Miss had been getting as much of that as they struggled in the running game early on this season. But again, that kind of leads to, to back to where I started with this, talking about the offense. Now that they're fully healthy and you saw Caden pre-scored has made a huge difference. Um, my God, what a large human being. I don't know why I continue to be shocked by that. Um, I have like stood, stand next to him, which uh, I mean, I'm shorter than most people I stand next to, but he like towers over me. But man, just seeing him in pads and seeing him out there, he is a massive target to throw the football to. And of course, he's made one hell of a difference, I think, in the running game with blocking. Um, you know, I was texting my buddy Michael back and forth last night, and he was saying, you know, he was kind of hearing a couple of different people say, hey, he made a great block on that run or great block on that run. Stuff that I can't really pick up on in live action. I think he's made a huge difference. And so now that all these pieces are healthy and you got Trey Harris and Zakari Franklin back and you've got Caden Prescorn, I mean, this could be one of, if not the best offense in the SEC if they remain healthy the rest of the year. They definitely can be. I mean, the way Dart has been playing, the way he's been controlling the football and having Prescorn who made multiple massive catches yesterday on, on like third and tens, third and elevens. And of course, I mean, I can't focus on who's run blocking who the whole time, but I mean, it's not a coincidence that he's fully healthy and they were actually able to make some, some moves in the run game. Um, and then 
was it? I mean, you just now you have four legitimate guys to throw the ball to. You can spread people out in a ways that we have not been able to for the entire season. I mean, on that last drive, when they're just all of a sudden they're going at warp speed and there's got, you know, they're throwing screens out here and you got legitimate blockers out there and you can throw it back and then you can bring them in tight. I mean, there's just so much more you can do with a healthy Trey Harris, a healthy Franklin, a healthy, you know, I mean, Wade and Watkins have been doing their thing. Uh, and then the ability to run the ball, having all those guys together puts together a pretty dynamic attack. Um, I mean, there's still things to improve on, as crazy as that may sound, but they were absolutely incredible last night. They were. And for the first time, I think you can correct me if I'm wrong, but really for the first time in the Kiffin area, you look out there when they have a four wide set or a five wide set. Most of the time it's four out there, but like it's four legitimate playmakers between you look over and see Franklin or Harris on one side, you've got Watkins in the slot, and then you've got a big target like Priestcorn. I think it's the first time that at least I can remember, maybe I'm missing a year in the Kiffin area where you look out there and you're like, damn, like all three or four of these guys can be problems in their own way on a given play. Yeah, they all have their unique strengths and weaknesses. Um, you know, having to have Watkins playing all the way out wide while Harris was out is just not in his best interest. I mean, he's a guy that needs to be in the slot, a guy that I know people hate it, but you can even give jet sweeps to that you can throw out bubble screens to because how electric he is with the ball after the catch. But, I mean, Trey Harris, I mean, Kevin said it last night, I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly. I mean, just the difference that he has made, just being on the field and healthy for this offense cannot be discounted. Uh, I mean, he's just a playmaker. He is really good after the catch. He's a big body guy. I mean, there's a few 50-50 balls he probably could have gotten, but that's why they call him 50-50. You don't get him every time. Um, but he was just incredible. And even though I think he probably should have gone down in the last play, it's impossible to do that in, in, the, in the time. I know they were talking about that too. It's just they have so many – this is the offense we thought we were going to see this year. And maybe we just discounted the injuries enough. I mean, it's not unfair to say, like, you know, if one guy goes down, you shouldn't be scoring 10 points. And when he's back, he score 55. Uh, but it's just something that I think maybe we didn't take into account enough uh, about how this place or how this offense was going to be put together with these guys healthy. And I, I had a, a small feel. I, I knew I didn't know Ole Miss would win the game. I did pick them to win the game, but I knew I had a pretty sneaking suspicion that they were going to be better offensively this week because, like last week, they got all of those guys back. But Trey Harris was not close to 100% healthy. Caden Prescorn hadn't done a whole lot, like physically, uh, in a month or so. And so I yeah. think he was working himself back into game shape with the nature of that injury. It's not like there was a huge ramp up period. And so this felt like the first time they were really back and in shape and kind of in the swing of things again. And I think that made a pretty big difference as well. And then, you know, we, you can't say it enough. Jackson Dart was incredible last night. Um, you know, sometimes I get accused of being a Dart apologist, um, but you know, he didn't play very well in Tuscaloosa. He wasn't the reason they lost, but he certainly was not a, uh, a difference maker for them. And, you know, it was fair to question still what's, what is he like against, you know, good teams. And what is he like in big games? He admitted he'd never played in a game like that afterward. He's, I think his answer was, hell nah, that was awesome. Um, but he was incredible last night. He was up to the moment. He was great all night, 26 of 39 for 389, four touchdowns, no picks. And unless I'm misremembering something, not hardly any bad decisions either. And he was incredible. And, uh, you know, I think you saw a guy grow in confidence as well after last night. It was not unfair of us to be concerned going into this game what the offense was going to look like. Sure, we completely underrated how shitty LSU's defense is, but they hadn't shown it. 
and you know they hadn't been healthy. So you're like, okay, if they're all healthy, we think they can absolutely be better, but we didn't necessarily know that they could do that. Uh, so I, I don't think it's unfair that we were like, okay, what is this team going to look like in this game? What are they going to do differently? Their game plan was different. I'm not, it was just, it felt different. And that's not on Charlie or Lane or who's calling the plays. I'm almost positive Charlie is still calling them, but they just had a perfect game plan. They had a perfect offensive game. And like we said earlier, that's what they had to have to beat this team and what most people thought was going to be a shootout. Yep. And it certainly, it certainly was. And then, you know, as you get into what the game means or how it played out, I kind of go back to the, you know, the significance of it. But like, I think this win also told you something about this team. Um, I mean, of course, everyone's happy after you win a big game like that, but just kind of the joy they had. I don't know if you saw the locker room video, Dart. No, I did. Um, but just, <laughs> then just the sheer fact of being down 49 to 40 with eight minutes and 24 seconds left to go in the game, having to drive the length of the field twice, get two scores, get two stops to beat a good LSU team at home a week after you kind of laid an egg the week before. I mean, I think it says a lot about their resiliency. Kiffin talked about it after the game. He was like, look, I don't just say this to, like, as coach speaker, be cliche. They used last week as motivation. They let it fuel them. They practiced harder this week. Jackson Dart talked about how, you know, they wanted to rebound from it. I think they had a players-only meeting, or he called it a players meeting this week. And, you know, Kiffin talked about they're kind of choosing what team they want to be, and they felt this was a legacy-defining game. And, you know, pushed to the brink. They threw one hell of a punch to get their way out of the hole and cap this one off. A hundred percent. They they lacked leadership last year. And, um, you know, without Corral, without, you know, Snoop and Ely and those guys and Sam Williams, you know, they, they just didn't, didn't, did not have it. Excuse me. Did not have it. Uh, this year, it's just been completely different. People saw it in the spring and in the fall, of what Dart's become and how the team has rallied around him. Defensively, they've brought in a lot of guys. And look, that is can be a recipe for disaster bringing that many guys, but they brought in the right kind of guys, the guys that wanted to be here with the right attitude. They may not all be first round draft picks, but they're absolutely buying into what's been going on. And they've been saying it too. I mean, you've heard it in player interviews throughout the year that these guys are, no, we're buying in. We've got a lot of, you know, guys that really care about this and want to be here and want to win. And that's not nothing, especially in this portal era. Um, you know, you argue I mean, it's more important than ever. Absolutely is. You know, it's it's when you do these scouting stuff, especially like when you're in the NFL, I mean, you scout guys, of course, by their athletic ability, and their ability to play football. But then it's like, what kind of character do you have? And that is a massive part of it. And it's probably something that's been overlooked by a lot of programs. It's not an old Miss comment by a lot of programs bringing in all these portal guys, whether it's offense or defense. It's like, are you going to fit into what we're trying to do here? despite how talented you are. You know, you can't get away with that every single time, especially if you bring in 13, 14 guys on a certain side of the ball. So, no, I mean, a credit to everybody involved. I mean, Kiffin said how much important, how much more important this year was going to be getting these guys to gel compared to last year after what happened after the Alabama game. And, you know, so far, and really just this game culminating in a pretty successful strategy in that. Get back to Weldon in just a second, but before we do, I want to take a quick break to remind you. Podcast is brought to you by Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any other hard beverage you've had before. It is made with real brewed tea and packs a flavorful punch with 5% alcohol and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual 
Twisted Tea turns up on any occasion, especially when you're cheering on your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting friends at home, Twisted Tea is there to elevate your game day experience. It perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable moments. So let's toast to an unforgettable game day experience. Twisted Tea, the drink that feels fun and celebrates your love for college football. Keep it twisted. This podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Check them out today. Skybox is rolling with their college football and NFL picks packages. Don't be that guy that loses a bunch of money based off their own leans. Skybox is a full-proven method. They'll send you a color-coded pick spreadsheet Divide it up by units, and boom, you're all of a sudden more equipped to profit than before signing up for Skybox. Make this football season a profitable one. Check it out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, and get 20% off any picks package. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. All right, back to the conversation. And the the reading into the tea leaves, too, and just kind of the vibe I get from the very limited interaction I've had with a select few of them, it seems like a group of guys that really like each other as well, and they're also very mature, and you just covered it perfectly well a perfectly about the buy-in from transfer guys and getting the right kind of guys I think that was a lesson that they learned last year um and something that they t- were much more mindful of this year and I think it paid off in the biggest moment of what is at least currently the biggest game of the season like does they, if that team last year is down nine points with eight and a half minutes to go in the fourth quarter do they win the game my guess would probably be no and for whatever reason last night I didn't think they were out of it I I mean it looked bad Ole Miss looked dead to rights but I thought you know if they can get one score here and at least give yourself a shot to get off the field and get one more um I still felt like they had some life to them and I'm just not sure if if that would have been the case in 2022 uh I don't think it would have been and we know we got to give credit to the defense I know that it was not great last night uh 49 points at home not great but they gave them the stops they needed when they when they got them in the fourth quarter I mean you had to have them at some point and they got them and you know that is probably something that hasn't happened in games like this previously I know the Arkansas game they got the stop on the two-point conversion but that was it you know it wasn't like actual (laughs) real stops making real differences in, in a game that could have gotten out of hand pretty quickly. Um, so they get, you know, they get some credit for what happened last night. And then offensively, they never, they never, like, their hands were still. Never once did they press. I mean, they were still running the ball with eight minutes left down two possessions. They were doing it successfully. Because at the end of the day, that's what LSU was giving them. You know, you, you didn't have to rush. There's plenty of time. You've got your timeouts. You've got a defense that's on, been on their heels the entire game. Don't, don't do what you haven't been doing the entire game. Um, so that's a credit to Kiffin. That's a credit to Weiss, who deserves it, um, for how they just approached really every single phase of a pretty hectic game, um, whether it was in the beginning, just scripting. And they always script well. I mean, literally everyone's talked about this. It's not even a secret for Ole Miss people anymore. Everyone knows that Ole Miss, if they get the ball, is odds are they're scoring in one of their first two drives. Which is one hell of an advantage to have. It is not. It is definitely not. It's not a bad thing. No, it is not. Um, But we've seen, especially this season, oddly enough, in the first half after the scripts, you know, sometimes they'd be better um, ready for the second half. But in the first half, they kind of go to stall after the first two or three possessions. They did not do that. They kept their foot right on their throats for four quarters, basically. And like you said, yeah, you may have thought it looked bad, but they were absolutely never out of it. 
toward the end of that game, I thought it was interesting too. Last night, one of the things I noticed, and Kiffin mentioned after the game too, that seven hundred yards, none of none of it was cheap or on a busted coverage or a I say busted coverage. That's probably not the way to describe it. There were not a whole lot of gimmick plays, not a whole lot of gadget gimmick stuff where you're kind of eating up yardage and the numbers looking inflated. They methodically drove the football down the field for the entirety of the night, and that's something Kiffin pointed out in the post game. And last week I made a comment about tempo and pace and about how this team, like, is it is it is it good for them to try to go warp speed as often as possible? And, you know, I can't really tell as an untrained eye how that goes throughout the course of a game. But when Ole Miss was able to, like, at times slow down and kind of look at what LSU was doing, look at where Perkins was on the field and whatever call they made, they were still just – regularly picking up eight to 12 yards of play at certain points in that game. And I think that's kind of a sign that your offense is legitimate. They have not uh, been going as fast as they were in the first two years of the Kiffin uh, offense, but they still, after a first down, were, were going at a pretty solid pace, a pace that they said after the game that they thought LSU was going to have real issues with. Uh, and they absolutely did. Um, they've been, they were so much better on first down in this game. That's something that they have been really, really struggling with. And, you know, it comes down to not being able to run the ball. Last night, they were able to run the ball. So that means you can open up everything you need for second, third down. You know, you don't even feel like you're in real pressure in that kind of game on fourth down because you've been kind of getting everything you want. Uh, It was an incredibly well-crafted game plan. They knew exactly what the strengths and weaknesses of both teams were, and they exploited it on every single side. Uh, It was incredibly impressive offensively. Uh, it's nine to 16 on third down. I was looking that up as you mentioned it too. Better on third down. And again, not a coincidence. I can think two off the top of my head that preschool and caught that were massive catches in that game. Probably not a coincidence there as well. No, they had a, it became a meme that I think Ole Miss converted on four third and 11s last night. Wow. I did not pick up on that. Yeah, that is exactly nuts. third, exactly third and 11. They, they picked it up four times. They should just take a knee twice uh, right behind the center <laughs> and start running plays that way. Um, but they they made some crucial plays to keep themselves in that game and put them in a position to win it. Um, there, This game had everything. It had great offense. It had weird points. You had a ref get trucked and a weird delay on like the second series of the game. There was so much <laughs> packed into this football game. That's probably why it made it such a thrilling and entertaining day in general. When Ole Miss goes up and gets the big lead, I kept feeling like if they get one more stop, I feel confident they're going to score. Like they could kind of salt this one away much earlier than I thought they did. And some of that's a credit to LSU. They didn't allow Ole Miss to do that. They drove down the field. Daniels made three incredible throws and kept them in the game. But there was a point where Ole Miss felt like it played a pretty damn fine first half and LSU had a 50-something yard field goal to go in the locker room tied. That would have... I don't know if that would have changed the outcome of the game at all, but man, I just, I, I, I got to halftime and I was like, Oh, Miss has played really well. And LSU's down three and gets the ball first coming out of halftime. Like, do they actually have the horses to do it? I feel like that was the only point in the game where I really kind of questioned that. Uh, understandably. I mean, LSU had the exact same scenario happen with Arkansas last year where they scored a quick touchdown at the end, uh, went in the locker room down, like, I think it was like four and then came out and scored the first drive. So, like, they were not unaccustomed to that situation. It was not new to them. So I was not surprised they came in you know, at the – they call it, like, the middle eight, uh, that they won that part of the game because they'd been in that situation before in a, in a high-scoring game. Uh, but at the end of the day, you just had to get stops in the second half. And it took a while. 
but they got him. And that was at the end. I mean, that's all you needed uh, because the offense was just clicking in every single facet. Uh, it was definitely getting a little squirrely there. I think it was, I mean, what do you say? It was like a 28 to six run that Ole Miss won like a 21 to seven run to end it. Uh, it, like it had it very uh, Florida State 2016 vibes where I think Ole Miss oh. was literally up 28-6 in that game. And it just like they got ambushed in the second half. But yeah, it was a game of runs for sure. And Ole Miss withstood the final, uh, you know, the final couple of punches from LSU. The scenario at the end, I want to get to the end of the game because my oh, God, yeah. you, you could unpack that for hours on end. Trey Harris scores and doesn't go down. Uh, Kiffin said he wanted to get down and, you know, to take it down to one second to kick a last minute. I was, field goal. I was losing it. Losing I understand the – this is maybe just scar tissue and how my brain works. I get it. I know it's the right call to do. I understand it completely. I get it even a lot more in the NFL. Is there any part of you, though, that doesn't want to rely on a college kicker? And I, I'm not defaming my hero here, my new boy. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> Caden Davis, I promise. It's just the nature of it and the amount of things that can go wrong in a kicking battery. Again, that's just a dumb comment, and it's probably just, again, my scar, scar tissue. But, like, is there any piece of a coach that would ever be like, do I, I don't want it, this to come down to a college kicker, even if it's that close? Um, it just depends, <laughs> I guess. I guess could... it depends on the kicker. At, um, so. uh, yeah, it definitely depends on the kicker and how well you've done in that regard. Um, personally, I you just – you really want him to go down. I mean, just think about how the game went. I mean, everybody is scoring at will. They had two timeouts left and 39 seconds. Uh, that's at that game, that's, that's more than enough time. And of course, they get a 40 yard reception on a crosser to Chris Hilton to start off their drive. And then you're just like, ah, shit, here we go. And then all I could think of was like, all they had to do was either run the ball or Trey Harris kneel, and this game is over. That's how you win football games is you you play time and situation. And, look, it worked out. That's awesome. It absolutely could not have worked out. I mean, when it, dropping the interception, the 40-yard reception to start off the drive, the horse collar tackle and Jaden Daniels to give them, you know, better field position. I mean, it was all coming together in a potential heartbreaking fashion. Um, but Ole Miss in whatever sort of spiritual way was able to – dismiss the we are all in this moment out of that game and win so no i mean you don't want it to come down to that you want to kneel the ball there and kick a 15 yard extra point field goal 100 percent of the time um but you did put more pressure on them i give them credit for the way they handled that last drive though yeah because some teams would be like we're going to settle for a 35 yard field goal they did not do that at all. I mean, they're throwing screens out left and right once they cross the 50. They're moving the ball, moving the ball, moving the ball. But maybe you slow down for like two seconds and be like, hey, this is what we need to do in case this scenario comes up. It is so much easier said than done hindsight. Obviously, Trey Harris, when he catches that ball, is not looking at Lane Kiffin to go down. Don't even know why Lane would think that he would be looking at that. But maybe there's a call before the play starts to be like, hey, in case yes. you know this occurs, that that's definitely possible. Uh, but look, who gives a shit? They won. That yeah. doesn't matter. And it was it was the craziest part about it was, of course, the touchdown happens and everyone goes nuts around me, so I can't really see what the aftermath is. And Chase asked me about them not going down to kick it, and that was the first time it had registered to me. I was like, oh damn, they absolutely should have done that. I had not thought about it to that point. 
Um, I thought the post-game answer about that was interesting. That's actually what I was going to ask you, but we just kind of covered it anyway. Was Kiffin said the reason for that is that a signal came in just too late. And so I guess they have a signal telling them to go down if needed. I, I would assume so. I so, would assume there's some sort of signal. Yeah. He said the reasoning for that is because it came in too late. But there was there was a funny shot where you know everyone's going nuts. He scores the touchdown, but then it pans over to Kiffin on a knee on the sideline. He's like pissed. I thought that was a a humorous moment in that game. Um, and they handled the last drive like you mentioned very well. But man. Then it turns around and they give up what 30 something yards on the first play and LSU's immediately in plus territory. And I went from thinking, do they have enough time to actually have a legitimate shot to score here to, okay, the clock's actually not even that much of a factor anymore in the, in the sequence of one play. Um, you had all kinds of stuff happen that the horse collar tackle on uh Jean Baptiste that gets them a real shot at it. But to their credit, they made two great plays at there at the end um and got out of it and survived i thought the kiffin talking about the deshaun gaddy dropped interception was funny he was asked what the last 30 seconds were like for him and he said you know i'd given up on the interception they already tried to give us one and we just didn't take it so i was saying don't get pi and to smack the ball down but what a wild wild sequence at the end of that game there no john Baptiste gets a lot of credit for one being able to run down daniels because they really had not been able to do that for the entire game. It's unfortunate he got the horse collar. It sucks. It's having played football, like I completely saw it coming. It was like, I have to get this guy down. I'm going for the shoulder pad or whatever. I can't dive at his ankles. But then the next play or two plays later, the he next play back. he's running with the receiver and made a hell of a play. Yeah, running with the running back wheel routes and does not interfere with them and almost damn near comes down with an interception, an incredible play. So he gets a lot of credit for, you know, just hustling his ass off. You know, we've been kind of hard on him and, you know, deservedly so at some point. But uh, really, really impressive uh, from him the last two. What are your uh, what are your thoughts on field storming? I saw there was, of course, some Internet chatter about it. I don't ever pay attention to college football rankings anymore pre the playoff rankings that come out in October. They're just kind of meaningless to me. I feel like we know less and less about these teams now with the portal and everything. So, like, I don't even pay attention to the rankings. I actually didn't couldn't remember off the top of my head until I looked it up when LSU was ranked heading into the game. But I, I didn't anticipate Ole Miss storming the field if they won. I obviously don't actually give one iota of a shit about field storming. People have fun. Do whatever you want. If you don't want to do it, don't. If you do, do it. Um, yeah. But it was one of those things, it wasn't like 2014 Alabama. It's like a few students just immediately hopped over the fence and then everything else, it just kind of happened. It didn't feel as like put together. I don't know if put together is the right word, but it just, it didn't feel as like purposeful as the 14 Alabama one. It was just something that kind of happened after the game, which you see across college football sometimes. It, it seems to happen a lot more in games that are just incredibly stressful and exciting, despite whatever anyone's ranked anymore. You know, like Colorado rushing the field against Colorado State because it was an incredible game, an incredible atmosphere. Like, I I totally get it. I, uh, I'm i fine with storming the field. I mean, LSU stormed it twice against Ole Miss in this decade, so I don't give a shit what they were ranked. It was an awesome game, a massive win, a night game, which definitely <laughs> – has a factor in it. Uh, I will say, and I kind of say this every time about storming the field, storming the court, something terrible is going to happen eventually. And then we're going to be officially done with this. Um, I know that's such a, like a woke comment or whatever, you know, just let the kids have fun. I stormed the field in 2014. I had a great fucking time. I totally get it. It's a lot of fun. It's a unique experience, creates amazing memories, but I'm sure you've seen the video of the Ole Miss kid, with his cell phone, then he runs into the LSU player and like 
know, starts cussing at him. And then understandably the LSU player you know, throws a punch at him. Um, that kind of stuff happens when the, the you storm the field and eventually like something like really bad is going to happen. I don't know what necessarily, I mean, not like someone dying, but like a really bad episode can happen. I don't really care. I hope everyone has fun and you can do whatever you want. I have no issues doing it, but I will. The other side of it is, you know, it's a recipe for disaster here and there. But like I said, it doesn't really matter. You described it better than I could. The ending, these wild endings are coaxing the field storming more so. Because, you know, Ole Miss, you had the ending with in 2014, the pick, but then they still took two knees or three knees or whatever it was to run the game out, where that game literally ends right there at the student section, right in that end zone, right in the center of it on the last play. The whole team's down there celebrating. It was a very cool moment. It was just, I couldn't get that thought out properly. That's exactly kind of what it is. It's these ending, ending ones inducing it. So anyway, it was a cool scene last night. I think it was a big day. Um, you know, as a program for Ole Miss, I mean, I guess we will circle back to the start of the conversation. Lane Kiffin, we talked about, you know, big game signature wins. I've been, I'm open to that theory, right? I mean, you pitched me a couple of different stats about his record against top 25 teams or teams that finished in the top 25. And so like, it's not unfair, but like the, what is his signature win at Ole Miss is a little more nuance is required because they just played a bunch of like goodish and average teams in 2021 and beat everyone they were supposed to, right? You lose to Alabama and they lost to Auburn that night. But point being, there weren't a ton of like top 15 opportunities throughout the course of that season. You had a down LSU team. Harson was remarkably in his first year was just okay. Other than Alabama point being like the schedule has not permitted a ton of these opportunities. Yes. Would beating Alabama and LSU last year um, have put this conversation to bed? Sure. But like that part of it, the nuances or context, I should say, is a little bit needed. But point being, this was a rubber stamp, bona fide uh, signature win that he got last night. He coached a hell of a game. They played very well, and he got a legitimate win that I think is going to hold up for the entirety of the year. Definitely. I, I think that conversation has come up more, especially after the Alabama game, because of the way, <clears throat> excuse me, the way that we thought this Ole Miss team could play this year and the way that the SEC has played out this year, where you just feel like you have a real opportunity to take a stranglehold in a division that you've never won uh, against an Alabama team that is absolutely down, and then you kind of lay an egg. So then it all kind of culminates into, like, what are we doing here? You know, after the end of last season, your first big opportunity in a game you talk about all week and you lay an egg, it's like, okay, what is this Kiffin experiment going to be like? It's year four. Like, is this what we're going to expect? From here on out, is there is there a ceiling that we can meet? Have we already met it? Blah, 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 blah. Um, and then you come up to this LSU game, and, yeah, it's a massive game. It's a massive game for more than what that LSU team is. It's just beating the teams that ideally and just re- realistically Ole Miss has not beaten consistently. Uh, Lane Kiffin was supposed to come in and be a guy that changed that. Uh, after you know the whole Hugh Freeze and Matt Luke debacle and all that, you're supposed to elevate the program and start beating teams, the Auburns, the LSU's, the Alabamas. Um, he'll have his opportunity at Georgia this year. Um, that just almost hasn't beaten consistently. And you know, from now at the end of the day, he's beaten all of those teams except for Alabama. Uh, he's done it to LSU twice. I mean, that 21 team is terrible, but you know, it, he's done it. And Ole Miss has been. I think they were five and 15 since 2000 against LSU or last 20 years. It's not even about what they're ranked or how good those teams are. It, a lot of it's just perception, you know, that's fair or unfair. That, that's the perception of where Ole Miss can't is and where Alabama and LSU and Georgia are. 
Um, so it's more than just, you know, what is that team ranked? It's what's the scenario you're in, you know, what's the context of the game and for everything that went into this LSU Ole Miss game, it was massive. It was massive on both sides. I think you were listening to media on both sides talking about like whose game is like, what program is this game more important for? And there was legitimate cases on either side. It was for Ole Miss, your West goals are done if you lose this game. Um, you have to deal with the comments we just talked about with Kiffin not being able to win the big game. And he's losing to the teams that like as an underdog, he just can't beat them at home or on the road or blah, blah, blah. And then for LSU, it was you lose this game and you are not going to the playoff. And, you know, those are expectations. There was a different level of expectation, fair, unfair for Ole Miss and LSU going into the season. And you came out on top and now everything's open for you. It's crazy in college football what one outcome can do for a season, which is why we are so emotional about it and care so much about it, because there's only so many opportunities, which is also why you keep coming back to winning that big game. And they did it. And now you've got really three weeks in a row playing against teams. I guess you have a bye week in between playing against teams that you should beat. Uh, And then then A&M comes into town. So everything's open for you now. Uh, You don't technically control your destiny, but – you are in a pretty damn good spot. And I think it was just really, really important to win this game for just a myriad of reasons. I'll put it to you. This made me, when I was thinking about this question earlier, I thought about it from this standpoint. It may be interesting. Does LSU lose again this season? I think they definitely lose again this season. You're not, not, they're not running the table with that defense. They're terrible. They're terrible. You said Alabama? Yeah, like I, I went through the the like the rest of their schedule, and they do have some tough road games at the end. I was like, if they do lose, I figured at Alabama, I think they go to A and M late, late in the year, or excuse me, that's the last game of A and M's at home. A and M's, but they have to go. Hey, they go to Missouri next week. Yeah, eleven a.m. game at Missouri after this performance. Uh, I mean, they've got Auburn. Who, I mean. Shit, they're comp. I mean, they suck on offense. They're terrible on offense, but they have some war daddies on defense. There, I mean, that's not a guarantee. There's no guaranteed win for LSU except for Army on their schedule left. I mean, they they are not good enough to take any team for granted. Defensively, they are terrible. Uh, I think that the way, that's the way the division and the league is too. In some respects, like absolutely. there's just not a whole lot of like concrete. No, Ole Miss better get up for next week. Yep. I mean, that's a it's a dead team walking. And that's can be a really, really scary opponent coming into your house. I think it's fantastic for Ole Miss that that game is at night. There is like no excuse not to get amped up for it. You're going to have an incredible crowd. I think they're doing the stripe out and yada, yada, yada. Uh, but that team, I mean, KJ Jefferson himself, you know, he hasn't been great this year, but he's definitely capable of making plays. Um, I, Arkansas is not a good football team. I will not be overrating them. I, believe me, they're not good, but they are not incapable of beating you. I don't think anyone is. You're not that good just because you won last night. You're not that good. But no, look, I mean, Alabama, they're capable of losing games coming up. I mean, they have to go to AM next week. Uh, they have Tennessee at home, which is they're like 50-50 these days. You don't know what Tennessee you're getting. Uh, and then I think they play Auburn on the road to end the season. I can't remember. Uh, it doesn't really matter. But I mean, there's that Iron Bowl is in Auburn, and in, in uh, yeah, at Auburn, it is at Auburn. I mean, look, the way they play against Georgia, you never know. Um, so look, they have losable schedule. You just have to. It's all about controlling your own destiny, and obviously, you don't actually do it. 
but it's it's week by week now, and you have to start with Arkansas. We'll finish up with Weldon in just one second, but before we do, I want to take a quick break to remind you. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg if you're a Rippy Wright subscriber. That's rippywrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me and discounted meats right now. It's three six ounce bacon wrap fillets for twenty bucks. That's about a forty dollar valuation you're getting there for twenty bucks. Go in there, show Greg proof of subscription. He'll get you set up. Then go find all your own favorites at the most delicious butcher shop in the world. Check them out, LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. This podcast is now brought to you by MC Speech Therapy. Has your child been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder or another developmental disorder? MC Speech Therapy offers private speech therapy from the comfort of your own home. Other centers may leave you as the parent sitting in the waiting room. MC Speech Therapy enables parents to make every moment with their child therapeutic. Using a relationship-based framework, MC Speech Therapy can help your child engage, relate, and communicate. Mary Claire Boudreaux's doctorate-level expertise and passion in helping children with communication difficulties offers articulation and language therapy, parent training, is, and is licensed to do virtual therapy across the state of Mississippi. With MC Speech Therapy, you and your family will gain a better understanding of your child while cultivating stronger relationships. For service today, call 903-824-8575 or email her at maryclaire at mcspeechtherapy.net. That is M-A-R-Y-C-L-A-I-R-E at mcspeechtherapy.net. All right, back to Weldon. Last couple of things on the Ole Miss game. Lane had a few bangers in the post-game press conference last night. Um, he dunked on Sokolov again. <laughs> and then also did it in kind of like an endearing way because after he finished up kind of poking fun at him, he said, I only pick on people I like. Um, he had one – what was one other one that I can't find in my notes that stood out a second ago? Oh, someone asked him a question. If he if he felt pressure to win this game, like if he, you know, of course he's aware of kind of what people say and everything around him, but he just, he gets asked this question about like, did he feel like he had to win this game to validate himself in his time at Ole Miss? And he just goes, eh, I don't really think about things that way. That's like the entirety of the answer. So he just shut it down immediately, but I kind of believe him in that sense. And then he had a lot of nice, he talked, he spoke differently about the players than he has in the past. And I think he's starting to realize, as we talked about earlier, he has a locker room full of, as he described them, cool kids who are mentally tough. Yeah, which is great. I mean, he is not scared of giving praise when it's deserved. And he is absolutely not scared of shitting on somebody publicly uh, if it's warranted in his eyes, uh, whether that's a player, whether that's a coach, whether that's a media member, as we've seen. Uh, he, he's pretty honest, especially post-game. I think he doesn't really you know, shy away from any of the truths uh, about his situation, about the team, about the culture, what whatnot. But I think he really likes this team. I think he's said multiple times, and we've heard it, but he really, really does like this team, uh, which is something that just after everything that's happened over the last, you know, I guess 10 games in his tenure, it's it's really, really good to see them come together like this. And he talked about them handling adversity. He mentioned last year after the Alabama game, and not to go down this whole rabbit hole again, but he said, you know, we didn't handle it well. We came out and we were flat, and it really affected us. And this year, they came out and played the best game of the season and one of the best games I've ever seen a Kiffin team play since he's been at Ole Miss. They responded a hell of a lot better. And I thought that was this main storyline from last night. And he kind yeah, of – I mean, after after that LSU weird Brian Thomas touchdown, no touchdown deal, which – I mean, I think it was not a touchdown, but I can understand why you don't overturn it, blah, 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 whatever. Um, I, I don't think it was a touchdown. You could have seen a team crumble in that scenario because it's like, oh, shit, everything's going against us. Now we're down two possessions. Like, what the fuck? Uh, and they didn't. And we've talked about it multiple times. So we don't have to rehash it. But it's just another example of the resiliency of this team. 
And, you know, last thought on this, and we'll get around the SEC. That was just a hell of a lot of fun to watch. That offense was a joy to watch operate for three hours. Like that, Kiffin's had some great offensive games, and there's been some games that have been really, really fun. The Florida game, weirdly, his first ever game is kind of one that pops up. The Alabama one, 2020. But, like, man, if that offense is here to stay, one, they're going to be really tough to beat, and two, I just really enjoyed watching the way they operate. I don't know how to make that sound any better, or I don't know if that makes any sense, but they were just very visually appeasing. Uh, absolutely. It was really the first time, look, Kiffin's had incredible offenses, but they've also had like times, you know, throughout seasons where it's like, I, there's a little weird here. It felt like 2015 Ole Miss to me. And I'm not like giving Hugh Freeze a lot of credit, but that was my sophomore year. I was like really disappointed if we didn't score a touchdown every drive. I mean, it was like, what the fuck happened? How do we not score here? Uh, especially in like the first five games, it was like, we just score on everybody and we do it consistently. And last night, I mean, that was how it felt. It was like, if we don't get a touchdown here, it feels like a turnover. If we get a field goal here. It feels like a turnover for the way that they're playing. Uh, it was like legitimately shocking. They came off the field and that's just a shit ton of fun to watch. The other quote that I laughed at that I couldn't find earlier. Someone asked him if he like, this was the game that he wanted this, the identity, some weird question about like his program's identity. And he goes, no, tonight felt like the COVID identity. We couldn't stop anybody. <laughs> and just kind of laughed that one off. I thought that was pretty quick by him, but uh, other random notes. Did you see the, uh, the goalpost kid? Uh, not exactly Jack Pickering esque. Oh. He did a much worse job and he did not stick the landing when, uh, well, hell, the goalpost didn't come down. They just made him jump down and the kid yeah. fell. I'm surprised. Red, redneck, uh, that's redneck Timothy Chalamet right there. Yeah. I mean, the guy looks just like him. It's honestly bizarre. Uh, I forgot Jack Pickering was like, had a ripped t shirt climbing up it against Alabama. <laughs> Pickering was at like the top of it. You could, he, was it. Like, he could have like grabbed the flag if he wanted to. I, I, yeah. they, I'm surprised they didn't need a crane to get him down. But anyway, that was a funny piece of it. The scene on the field was pretty cool after the game. And uh, to wrap up, really, just next week, got another big one. If you can get this one down and you can get this win next week, you have a bye week before you go to Auburn. And all of a sudden, you were set up for a very, very fascinating finish to this 2023 season. A win next week, as bad as the Alabama game seemed, and this roller coaster ride of a college football season, they win this game next week and they get a bye week before they go to Auburn. This team is set up pretty well because they're getting healthy and they are healthy now, where I feel like in most years it would be the opposite. Yeah, exactly. I think they will be their healthiest after that bye week, um, which is, I mean, look, you get so much time to prepare for an Auburn defense that has shown that they're perfectly capable, but you have to beat Arkansas first. And this is a team that, you know, for whatever reason has like kind of had Kiffin's numbers. I mean, going back to 2021 with Corral, I mean, 2020 Corral on the road, 21, that just insane game that was not near as fun as last night. Um, and then of course, you know, whatever last year was going on the road to Arkansas. Uh, this is a big one. I think I think he will not let them overlook this game because when I was still there uh, in 2020, I mean, he was like, "We this is a weird deal. Like in 2021, like we have, we have been weird against this Arkansas team. I remember the last year, like we are not doing that again. I think he will have that same mindset. I think defensively it's a much, much, much better matchup. Uh, having KJ kind of be there in the pocket. That offensive line is not as good as LSU's. Rocket Sanders looks like a shell of himself. They lost their best tight end against Al I mean against AM. Uh they're injured, they're battered, they've lost three games in a row. You should fucking kill them. 
and you should, you know, send Sam Pittman on his way because it's look like that's what's going to happen anyway. Um, so you just have to focus. And then once you get to the bye week, you get a week of sitting there and getting healthy, see whatever carnage happens. Uh, and then you have to go to Auburn. And I'm sure we will have plenty of time to, to dissect that one. <laughs> That might be a four-hour-long pre uh, pre-game podcast. That's going to be a Good fascinating week. Um, all right, so let's take a look around. That's really all I had on the game. Hell of a night. Um, hell of a win for Ole Miss. Yeah, uh, fun. I, I was happy time. for the few <laughs> of the players that I know a little bit personally. It just seemed like a great night all around. Happy for Jackson Dart. Um, felt like everyone kind of, if you didn't know who he was, felt like a kind of an arrival for him last night. I was very happy, and he seemed pretty joyful after the win. Um, for sure. I guess that's one element we didn't talk about. Like this, like Dart kind of got the monkey off his back too, didn't he? Last yeah. night I thought that way. I mean, I don't even know it's fair to say. Yes, monkey not monkey off, off the back, back, but like validation, I should say. But he announced himself. I think he he's like, look, I can do this, especially if you fucking give it to me like LSU did. I will, I will kill you. Um, he is so tough. He is incredible. That has never been something we've doubted with him. Uh, but he is just incredibly, incredibly tough. I felt like last year. There were games and times where he like his confidence was just not there. Uh, whether it was fair to him or not, with the lack of playmakers, it was just like you know one thing would happen after another, it would culminate. And even this game last night, where they had some issues here and there, uh, kind of towards the middle of the second half and the beginning of the you know second quarter or whatever, he was just like, I don't care. I'm fine. We can run the ball. I can throw the ball. The plays are going to be there to be made, and I'm just going to have to make them. Uh, he was he was really damn good. I mean, he was perfect. It was what he said that he was going to have to be going into this game uh, to outscore them. He was going to have to be as close to perfect as he could be. And I mean, can't complain more. Except for he needs to learn how to throw the ball at different arm angles. Uh, he was fantastic. Taking a look around the SEC, um, this was not a huge football watching day for me. As often these home games that I go to become, particularly when they're not at eleven a.m. Um, caught a decent bit of Alabama, Mississippi State. Uh, yeah. that's going to be a long year in Starkville. Um, Alabama seemed like hitting its stride a little bit, but that to me was pretty predictable. States, states, states got tough sledding ahead. Yeah, they're they're just simply not very good. Uh, they're not good on offense. Their defense is not as good as they have been. Uh, they just don't have a lot of playmakers. Uh, it was easy to put up thirty against South Carolina against that defense, but Alabama's got a really good one, and they just exposed them over and over again. Uh, credit to Alabama. They looked really good. Uh, they ran the ball down State's throat uh, for four quarters with relative ease. Um, Jalen Milrow is still the same Jalen Milrow. He's not great through the air, but shit, if you're going to rush three on that kid and someone's wide open, he's capable of hitting them, uh, which he did against State. And then, of course, I mean, they just like acted like he couldn't run the ball and like barely spied him, and he would gash them for like 45 yards like multiple times. Wild uh, pretty strategy considering Ole Miss had like its most talented player literally spot the guy last. It's ridiculous. It's there. Mississippi State, the guy's just so in over his head. Um, now credit to Mississippi State, they got their first passing touchdown against Alabama since 2014. Um, Good lord, that was a fun stat that uh, a friend of mine texted me last night. So uh, that's no bueno for them. They have been dog shit against Alabama except for that one game where like Jalen hurts. And um, like that Dante's, Mullen game in 20, it was 2017. Uh, yeah, it was. That was like a weird game. Like, besides that one football game, they have been completely inept against Alabama for like 10 years now. It is very weird. Um, I think their last win over Alabama was Sylvester Croom. Um, so that's uh, 
that's an interesting one. Tennessee, South Carolina. I was when I watched Mississippi State, South Carolina last week. I was like, these are two bad teams. Rattler plays pretty good football. I've been impressed with him this year. Um, but this feels like Tennessee finding. I didn't watch much of this game, but it felt like Tennessee finding its footing. And South Carolina is just aggressively average. I don't really know what to make of that. I mean, South Carolina, with the exception of LSU, has the second worst defense in the SEC. Um, they and that's what Tennessee does. Is if you have a shit defense, they will kill you. Um, and they absolutely did against South Carolina. That place is, I mean, looked pretty electric at night. Uh, that that place kind of got its groove back over there in Knoxville. Uh, I this does not tell me anything about Tennessee. I, I don't think Milton's any good. I think he's fine, but if you suck, he will kill you. Uh, their defense is a little bit better uh than you'd expect. Uh, I know Florida kind of gashed them, and look, this has been such a weird week by week SEC. Um that it's like hard to get a like a full you know evaluation of every team if you just go by week by week because everything changes road home these players it's weird it's like more than usual um but that's a big win for Tennessee they, they needed that one uh going into a pretty weird stretch for them coming up Arkansas AM I watched the entirety of this one while flipping back and forth and having Florida Kentucky on maybe we oversold the it's completely done in college station thing you know teams have weird games particularly early on in the year I don't know necessarily what I think of AM in terms of how good they are but they are certainly much better than they were last year and they are going to be a uh, they're going to be tough they're going to be tough to handle I think the offense looks a lot better for some reason they look like a much better and different team with Max Johnson in the game um it, the offense just seems to flow better I was impressed with them I thought this game could get weird I actually I think I picked in Neil's picks Arkansas to win it but uh I was pretty impressed by A&M in this game even though I don't necessarily think Arkansas is very good yeah I wish I could find this tweet from this guy yesterday that was talking about this game and it's it's a pretty incredible one Uh, I cannot find it off the top of my head screw it basically like yeah A&M kind of dominated Arkansas um Arkansas had players getting hurt all over the game but it was like AM like fumbled the ball twice, threw a pick six, and won the game by double digits. It was and they, they lost both fumbles. It was just like Arkansas just completely shit down their pants in this game. Uh, and they have for the last 12 years they played it. AM has won this game 11 out of 12 times. It's got this bizarre old Miss Auburn energy where it's like no matter what happens, for whatever reason, Auburn kind of you know finds a way to beat Old Miss. Uh, that's how this game has gone for uh for Arkansas and they played bad which is weird they usually play well in this game and sometimes they come up short like last year they just were completely out of sync KJ Jefferson was terrible in this game um and I mean look you can credit A&M's defense for that I mean they definitely have players uh maybe Miami's like really good I don't know uh, that's shocking to me uh but no it's not all done for them Wegman being out for the season Max Johnson is a perfectly capable SEC quarterback might not be a get you over the hump to win the West quarterback. Um, but no, it's not done there by any means. But they've got their, you know, they got their shit or get off the pot game coming up against Alabama this week, really for both teams to see what they are. Um, kind of a not necessarily a loser leaves town event uh, in College Station, but it's about as close as you're going to get. And then a, a kitchen sink game, I think, for Arkansas next week because they've now lost. 
uh, three games in a row after they lose to BYU. They've been out at LSU. Then they played the Texas A&M game in Dallas and lose, of course. But, I mean, after Ole Miss, it's uh, Alabama and then home for Mississippi State. Um, it's – I – that could get weird. This this is a this is a back against the wall of all back against the wall games. It feels like for Arkansas. So obviously Arkansas should not have lost to BYU. That was a weird ass game. They should not have lost that. If I'm them, whether it's the AD or Sam Pittman, this schedule is so fucked for them. It is one of the biggest travesties I've seen. I'm not an Arkansas fan. I don't give a shit. After the BYU game, their next four games were at LSU. Neutral site game against AM at Ole Miss at Alabama. They were away from home for over a month. In this I didn't SP pick country. up on this. I knew it was bad because of the AM game. I was like, that sucks. They basically played three straight road games. They're gonna play five. They're they're five. their last home game will be September 16th, and their next one will be October uh 21st. That is unbelievable. I just now noticed that in real time. That is terrible. It is, Sorry, it continue, is. But- on, but no, I mean, there's nothing more to say about it. They got fucked. I mean, if there's no other way to say it, I would have thrown an absolute fit if I was the athletic director when that schedule came out, being like, "What are we doing here? Like, this is an absolute joke. Like, we've got to mix and mangle this a little bit." So they've been on a road against basically the top four teams in the SC West for a month. So I mean, I'm not surprised they're what's happening. I mean, that's just situational football. I mean, if you put an NFL team. If you put the Miami Dolphins on the road for a month, look, they got their ass kicked in Buffalo today. They're going to lose probably two of those four games. And Arkansas sure as hell isn't good enough to run the table in those. Uh, so I, I feel kind of bad for them. Uh, but you should still kill them on Saturday. You should absolutely stomp in their throat while they're down. Here's one more way to frame it. On November 10th is a Friday. It is the Friday before their home game against Auburn. On Friday, November 10th, Arkansas will have played three games in Fayetteville to that point. Because they play the opener in Little Rock, which they insist on doing. I don't get that one either. So they will have that Auburn game on wow. Saturday, November 11th, will be their fourth home game of the year with like three weeks left in the season. That That's almost that's impossible. That's almost impossible to comprehend. That That is so stupid. That's just totally wild. So Florida, Kentucky, I don't know what to make either. I watched a decent bit of this game and I was like, I don't know what I'm watching. I still don't think Florida is very good. Um, maybe it made me think a little bit more about Kentucky, but to me, this was two very average teams and one of them played really poorly on the road. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing more to say than that really. Uh, I mean, look, I'm a pretty big Billy Napier guy. This one was, was like the, probably one of the first games where I was like, maybe this just isn't going to work, uh, to Kentucky's credit. They take this game incredibly seriously. Uh, this is a massive game for them. I think it was like four or five years ago. They won it for the first time in 30 years. And now they've kind of, dominated Florida, which I guess everyone has in the last three or four years. But uh, I don't know if I think that much more Kentucky. Look, they're undefeated. This was the first real team they played. Whether they're a real team or not is definitely debatable. Uh, But I think they get Georgia this week. So we'll learn a lot more about them. It was the same old, same old Kentucky way to win a game like this. They won by 19 points, and their quarterback was 9 of 19 for 69 yards. Well, their running back went for 280. Yeah, so that, that always helps. Was, but that, remember that the years play. they basically had like a, a running back taking snaps at quarterback because they'd had – Yeah, Lynn Bowden. Back. He's on the yeah. Saints. He sucks yeah. a lot with the rest of the team. <laughs> it just felt very, very Kentucky-esque. Georgia-Auburn, I didn't get to catch much of this because I'm in the Grove walking around, limited TV situation – but uh, this felt like Auburn had a chance to have a real whopper of a year one kind of program trajectory defining oh, yeah, win yeah. and let it slip to their fingers. What happened here? You're going to have to guide me here. Uh, Brock Bowers happened. Okay. Is, is, 
happen in this game. Uh, defensively, Auburn looked really damn good. Um, I mean, they Georgia has some weird personnel issues. They don't have like a real running back. They have some injuries on the O line. Uh, Carson Beck is just fine. Uh, he can't exactly make plays without having like elite players around him. That's an absolute fact. Uh, they had turnovers. I mean, Georgia turned the ball over. Auburn turned the ball over. It's kind of a weird game. Um, but look, Hugh Freeze said he was calling the plays before the game started, of course. Um, but slight credit to him. He's pretty good at it whenever he does it. And he was able to get Peyton Thorne in space. He was able to run the ball well in Georgia, which was really weird to see. Uh, he was able to use Ashford actually effectively, which has not been the case the last few weeks for them. Uh, but they just couldn't finish in the end. At the end of the game, Bowers had like two one-handed catches down the seam and just kind of slowly but surely they churned it out. Uh, but Auburn, look, I they are bad offensively, but they are definitely good enough defensively, especially in the back end, to be a real pest for teams that don't take advantage of how little they're going to score in the games. Uh, this was a real scare for Georgia. They absolutely could have lost this game uh, in certain scenarios, but once again, they kind of figure it out. I don't know when it's going to happen for them, but they look incredibly susceptible. Missouri is 5-0 and ranked. Statement of fact. I think they're kind of sneaky good. You've mentioned their legitimate talent at receiver. I don't know how good they are yet. Schedule hasn't really gotten tough, although they did have a very – well, I mean, Kansas State's a, real, a good football Yeah, policy. that's a good win. So they beat Vandy. They cover. Going to be a long year for our doors. But um, how? what do you think of Mizzou? How good do you think they are? If the quarterback's healthy, I mean, they can be really good. Um, I don't really know a whole lot about their personnel and defense. I do know they have two legit corners. Uh, they have Ray Straw and Chris Abrams-Drain, who was a guy we recruited really hard. Uh, and then they've got three really good receivers uh, in Burden and Theo Weiss, a transfer from Oklahoma, and then I think it's like a Williams or something, another guy that's like really good. Um, they are decently coached. I don't know if they're exceptionally well coached because, uh, I mean, look, they they took Vanderbilt for granted for about two quarters, and then they figured it out. Um, they, I mean, the LSU-Missouri game at 11 a.m. on Saturday is going to be a must-watch kind of – it could be a train wreck for one side. It could be a train wreck for both sides. I, I don't know what's going to happen to that game. LSU opened up as an eight-point favorite, which seems fucking insane to me, considering they can't stop anybody with an absolute pulse. Um, I don't know. I mean, if they win that game, then all of a sudden you're like, oh, shit, like this, these guys are – you know, they're in this thing. Um, so they no, I think they're really pretty good. Uh, they've recruited well. The only thing that's held them back was like a bunch of weird games last year, and their coach incapable of knowing time clock situation. <laughs> they're like the only team that you could have argued should have beaten Georgia. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, um, that is potentially a house of horrors for LSU. I'll be fascinated to watch that one next week. It is now time for the fastest growing segment on American soil. It is soccer corner. I have not caught up on the EPL this week. I did get a notification that Wolverhampton somehow beat Manchester city to give them their first loss of the season. How, how does that happen? Uh, it's pretty hard to happen. And they, they did it at home, which usually is a best case scenario. Um, I, it was just a weird game. It was a really weird game. Wolves uh, kind of came out, scored early on them. Uh, then City does what they do. They kind of came back, and then Wolves got a late goal. I mean, it just kind of happens that way sometimes. And they um, kind of dictated tempo. I watched some of the highlights of this game because I was asking the same exact question on what the hell happened here. Uh, but, no, I mean, credit to them. They, I mean, Wolves are – they're not great, 
I mean, City had an own goal to start the game, actually. I forgot that's what happened. Um, but they're talented. Like, actually, like, top to bottom, Wolves has a pretty good roster. Um, they've had, like, a weird scenarios where their, you know, manager left before the season. They're kind of trying to figure it all out. But, no, it's, it's a shocking outcome. But it was uh, one that I was watching it over again. I was like, yeah, I see it. I get it. Chelsea. I'm going to will this into existence. 15th place. That is firmly not in the relegation zone, but certainly uh, in the conversation. We'll call it that. They're absolutely in the conversation. I mean, they they have to go on the road tomorrow uh, against Fulham, which is kind of like a London rival-esque. Not really. Fulham is not that good. But if they don't get a result there, then I think then, especially if they lose, if they somehow lose that game, then we can start talking about is this team getting relegated? I mean, it's a long, long, long season, but at some point you kind of are what you say you are. And they have definitely shown that they are no bueno. We've talked about Brighton a little bit, but what about Aston Villa? They're at fifth place. I have, don't think in the entire time I've been doing this segment that I've seen them there. What, what, in, this is like a London club with some history. Is that correct? What's up with them? And we don't ever talk about Aston Villa. Yeah. They're kind of like a, a hipster club that people kind of will like because they're not the main clubs. Uh, they've gone up and down a little bit, but really they've been a pretty big constant for the last, you know, I don't know, like five or 10 years, at least they uh, they're well run. They do pretty good stuff there. They don't spend a lot, but they have a manager, Unai Emery, who used to be at Arsenal, who used to be at Villarreal and is just really good at what he does. Uh, that, I mean, 6-1, that's like an anomaly. I mean, that's just an absolute bizarre outcome for that game. For, like, I think Brighton beat the shit out of Newcastle, then Newcastle beat Aston Villa, then Aston Villa goes up 6-1 uh, at home against Brighton. It's just like a, a weird game that shows, like, how deep this league can be if you don't show up. Um, so, no, they, I mean, they're in it for right now. Uh, I don't know if that'll stay the case, but they've got real talent there. Toward the top, we've got Tottenham just now one point behind and Arsenal one point behind Liverpool, too. So actually a little bit more of a logjam. I get it super early on, but has your thought changed at all about how any who, if anyone, could contend with Manchester City to actually win this thing? Well, in order to talk about that, we're going to have to talk about what happened uh, Sunday or I guess Saturday morning with Tottenham and Liverpool. Um, I'm sure you did not see this. My brother's a big Liverpool fan, so he calls me because I honestly wasn't watching. I was watching Ryder Cup. Uh, which maybe we can talk about. Even worse. We can talk about that for a few seconds before we get out of here. Um, And Liverpool scores a goal that is clearly onside, and VAR, you know, the new replay system, uh, calls them off for really no explainable reason. Uh, Liverpool comes back and has a tackle on a Tottenham guy that absolutely should have been a red card, and they just didn't call it. And then – I think they like got another weird red card toward the game. Basically, it was just a total fucking disaster from an officiating and like game management standpoint. It was terrible. Tottenham ends up winning on a very weird own goal in the 95th minute uh, at home to beat Liverpool. And after the game, the kind of like PM or the PGMOL, which I don't even know what that stands for, comes out and basically gives a statement that like, you know, hey, we screwed this one up like multiple times in multiple different ways. Uh, sorry. You know, kind of like an NBA guy, like you come out with the referees the day after the game, like, you know, we missed this call, missed call, this call, sorry. Uh, Two-minute report. Back. Yeah. And Liverpool comes back with like a, that's not going to be enough for us. Like we're, like we're looking into this and we're going to have to do like a full report 
a full investigation because this was a total shit show. Uh, so that'll be something to follow. I don't really know what's going to come of it. I wish I got to see more of that game so I could better explain how bad it was. Uh, but my brother basically had me on the phone for 15 minutes, like bitching, complaining that this league is all fucked up. And that game was like the microcosm of it. Is that is this any different in American sports where it's just kind of cringeworthy when like a school or someone who feels like they got screwed goes on the offensive because there's nothing you can actually do? Like, what are you beating your chest about? Like threatening what? What are you going to do? Can anything actually be done? I, th- I mean, I don't think necessarily anything can be done. It- it's a similar case scenario, but it's also a little bit different because of the way that VAR and a lot of this goal line technology and a lot of this new review stuff has come in to international soccer over the last five, six, seven years that nobody has really been happy with the way it's been implemented. And this is not the first time by any means, the Premier League or the World Cup, that it's been relatively questionable on how well this stuff works, uh, which is really weird to say. You know, I mean, look, we have issues with the review. We saw the Ole Miss LSU game. Like, why are you reviewing it if you're going to get it wrong? And the same case scenarios come up time and time again. Nobody knows what handball is. They're, they're fucking up that rule. The VAR is like looks wildly inconsistent. So I think Liverpool understandably was like, look, like there's real stakes here. I mean, this is this shit's incredibly important. And in our eyes, you like screwed us out of a potential win or at least some sort of point out of this game. Like we have to figure out something here because this is not okay. Okay. I'm be keeping my eye on that. Hopefully we'll get some Brits and some angry worded letters uh, going at each other. We had the one thing I got to ask before we get to the Ryder Cup. Any sackings? Have I missed anything? Is anyone fired? Except for that one guy who got fired before there was ever a game. So he's still actually undefeated. So he got the better end of that deal. Anybody gotten sacked yet? I don't think so. Not since the guy from Wolves resigned a week before the season started. I, I can't think of anyone else that's gotten fired or sacked or anything like that. I'm sure it's coming. Okay. I, I, I don't, I can't, not off the top of my head. I can't think of it. Saudi Castle, eighth place. I want them to win this league because I think it would be hilarious. What's wrong with them? Uh, they won. They're, they're getting better. Like we said, they had a weird start to the schedule. Um, they had some pretty tough games early on. Um, but they're in kind of a new world right now because they're in a bunch of different competitions. They're in the Champions League this year. So they're having to rotate their squad a lot and coming up with new different games to play in midweek. Um, they got a result at home. They needed that badly after having some weird ones, but they're still in it. They're still incredibly talented. They're, they're really good. Um, you know, I, we can hit Ryder Cup for a second. I love the Ryder Cup. It's one of my favorite sporting events ever. And I watched next to none of this Ryder Cup because on Thursday night, I had a function that kept me up and out late. The next morning I did the Shep thing and I looked at it and I was like, they didn't win a single match between the two sessions. And then I made a plan to get up on Friday morning, or excuse me, Saturday morning and watch a little bit of it. But I saw how the early morning matches went that I didn't wake up for. And I rolled over and went back to sleep. I was like, this is already over. And so granted, they flipped a couple matches late Saturday afternoon that made Sunday watchable. So point being, the only Ryder Cup I watched was a decent portion of the Sunday singles matches. And I can't say that's ever been the case before. Uh, What a disgrace. I haven't seen that level of abuse since 1775. We got absolutely owned. Absolutely owned. And, uh, you know, I'm wiping my eyes with my money that I won betting on Europe uh, to win this. I could not believe they were an underdog. Um, This was like a shit show going into the Ryder Cup. The way that Zach Johnson has handled like every single – I love the Ryder Cup. 
I mean, let's start off with that. I love golf. I love the Ryder Cup. I play a ton of golf. I love betting on golf. Golf is maybe my favorite sport. I absolutely love it. I don't feel like this massive sense of pride for like Team USA because it's it's kind of a weird thing. Like I don't really care. I, I like the European te- European team better. I like the players of there better. I like Rom and Hovland and Rory and Lowry. They are just incredibly likable. And I wanted them to win, and I, I bet on them to win. And I thought that this was going to happen. I thought we were going to get our ass kicked. We picked a bunch of good old boy guys and the boys club. I mean, look, I love Sam Burns. I know his wife. I met him multiple times. Him going out with Scotty Scheffler match one in the Ryder Cup because they're best buddies is like ridiculous. <laughs> it's just absolutely ridiculous. Now, credit to Sam. He showed some heart uh, the next day when he got pulled out there with more cow and they took down Aberg and Hovland, a uh, team that like beat Scotty Scheffler and five-time major champion Brooks Kepko worse than anyone's ever been beaten in Ryder Cup history. Uh, but, I mean, it was just a pathetic showing. Zach Johnson should not be anywhere near a President's Cup or Ryder Cup team ever again for the way he handled everything, literally everything. They, they came out looking terrible. Like, each press conference, I was like, can we stop having these? Like, each one, each time, like, something bad happens or someone says something really dumb doesn't make sense. He tried to blame it on, like, some mysterious illness that was going around and all this other stuff. And it was crazy to me how much less likable this U.S. team was just two years after maybe one of the favorite Ryder Cup teams ever. I mean, they're like shot-cutting beers, beating the hell out of Europe. This team became less likable. And I don't know, I haven't read enough into the whole Patrick Cantley thing, but if Patrick Cantley's a cancer because, and I don't remember if he was an automatic qualifier, maybe he was, and I'm just talking about it my ass. He was an automatic, he was not. He was not a captain's choice. Can we change the system? If that guy's a cancer, get his ass out of here. I don't care if he wants more money. Like he, I mean, on top of him seeming very unlikable, he's also a human weather delay. Let's just kick him out. Can we make it 12 captain's picks? I know that's not really how it works, but like it, there's ways around this to have personalities gel and come off as more likable, and they don't do that. It's felt very clickish. They are incredibly unlikable. Um, they brought no juice. The only guy that brought juice was Justin Thomas. And guess what? He was rated as the second worst player out of anyone to play in the Ryder Cup. Uh, by all strokes metrics. Only worse was Jordan Spieth, his little buddy partner. I mean, they were terrible for every single match. And they played three straight matchups with each other. Uh, and they, I mean, pretty sure they lost. I mean, maybe they tied one. I'm pretty sure they lost all of them. Um, they should, I, I'm on the opposite of you. It should be eight automatic qualifiers and four captain's picks. Earn your way on the team. Fair and enough. then you bring in some vibe guys after that. Um, because his t- captain's picks went like, I think it was like three, seven, and two. Whereas the European guys, look, I, I can't pull it up right now because I don't have it in front of me. It was like, they got like four points and the European captain's picks got like nine points. And I, I don't understand why I like, like whether your friends is a, uh, is any sort of criteria when constructing a roster or a team. Like, yes, I it do get not. the fact that you need to think well together, but you don't have to be buddies to have a good golf partner. Hell, it was so dumb. Justin Rose even kind of did it, had a subtle him out there. He said, you know, uh, a great partner uh, is not necessarily like your closest mate or whatever the hell he said in his British term. Wonder what fan soccer team he is. I could probably look that up, but like, I'm sure you could. I don't understand. Why is this a criteria at all? I get it. If two guys hate each other, yeah, maybe don't put them together, but you don't have to be buddies. Like, can we actually put some thought into this beyond, yeah, I want to play with my friend? No, I mean, the best twosome for the US was Brian Harmon and Max Homa. I don't think they're best friends. <laughs> I mean, I don't, they barely, probably barely know each other. Uh, and they were absolutely the most competent. It's about complementary games. Yep. 
And Justin Thomas can't hit the broadside of a barn on an approach shot anymore. And then Spieth can't hit it in the fairway. What's complimentary about that for those two guys who have been really bad, both of them for six months. And then Ricky, I mean, look, I love Ricky Fowler. Love, love, love Ricky Fowler. But why was he on this team? Again, why was he even there? He has a terrible cup record. And he was in okay form going through the season and then like really tailed off towards the end. And then he comes out and only plays one uh, four ball event. Like, and then he played singles. And of course he concedes a three and a half foot putt to win the fucking Ryder cup to Tommy Fleetwood. Oh God. And, oh my God. What are we doing? Uh, it was terrible. And honestly, I was so happy. I won money off of Europe. They looked like they had an absolute blast. Their three best players outplayed our three best players who I couldn't even tell you who our three best are by leaps and bounds. They picked the right guys at captain picks. They went with Aberg, who has not played in a major championship because they knew how good he was. He came out and beat America's ass in three straight four balls or two straight four balls. They lost to Burns and Morikawa. So they deserved it. They they are so much better at this event, especially on the road. They care about it more. Um, and in two years, it'll be absolutely fascinating because I think that the U.S. is going to have to rearrange how they do this. I agree. And uh, to top it all off, I just don't like Cantley. He doesn't seem very likable. One, he he upstages the event. Did you see he's getting married today? Yes, I did. See tomorrow? God <laughs> decided to just knock out two for one. I'll do this little Robert. I think he was thing. thinking about golf the entire time when he's about to get married. Oh, I can tell you he wasn't because I've been through that scenario and shot a 102 the day before I got married. Probably yeah, wasn't totally locked in. And then his caddy just acts like a jackass to Rory McIlroy. Lacamba's acting. Cantley's totally acting, correct? Bullshit. Yeah. Now I'll give Cantley a slight credit because I don't, be I don't personally don't believe the story. I I will take Cantley's word um, whether I should or not. I don't like him either, uh, but he did go out there and like play a hell of a match that afternoon after all that shit was going on. But guess what? It didn't matter because you got your ass kicked anyway. Hopefully they'll regroup before two years from now. And like, I want to see him win on European soil for the first time in so many years. That's the one I actually 1993. get up with, right? 1993. So, hopefully we regroup next year. He is Walden Rodenberg. I appreciate the time, dude. We'll talk to you next week. And I'm sure we'll have a whole hell of a lot to talk about once again. Yeah, absolutely. See you later. All right. That's going to do it for our show today. Really appreciate Weldon's time as always. I enjoyed talking about the game. I enjoyed going to the game. It was just a uh, great weekend in Oxford, Mississippi uh, on all fronts. So thanks for listening to the show as always. I really appreciate it. I don't say that as much, but it does mean a lot. Um, it was a good week for the podcast, and uh, I'm excited to see what next week and the rest of football season brings. So thanks for sticking around. I appreciate y'all, and we'll talk to you on Wednesday. <laughs>